Civics, y'all. A political conversation for all of us. Hey, Johnny. Hey, Emily. <laughs> we had a, we had a snafu there. <laughs> we Take we two. recorded like twenty minutes worth of material and it didn't actually record or it didn't download. So here we go again. <laughs> Take two. Yeah, it was, and, and you'll you guys will never know. You'll never know the brilliance of that. I think yeah. it was more like fifteen minutes because right when the recording failed, I was going on this weird tangent. <laughs> and so Emily I said the most brilliant thing you'll ever hear. I mean, it was like never Nobel hear. Prize worthy and we'll never hear it. Yeah, the most brilliant thing you will never hear. Well, it was good stuff. Oh, it well. was good stuff. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> we got um, 20 more minutes of good quality stuff coming at you, though. So don't worry. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I'm looking we're just at... full of brilliance, right? <laughs> Now I'm looking at the uh, the Georgia Senate runoff results. Uh, we're at 78% reporting in both races, and both of the Republicans are back ahead now oh. uh, with 50-point-something percent of the vote, both of them. So. Oh, that breaks my heart. I've been, I've been afraid to be fully optimistic, but I, I have been secretly even to myself i've been i've been holding this ember of optimism in my deep deep heart you know um for georgia because you know i grew up in georgia and um i know what georgia's capable of i think i know what georgia's capable of in the good and the bad at least i i think i do and um you know and i just oh man i just had have so much hope for georgia especially with the whole country watching and we really need this we need both Senate races. We need both senators to be democratic so that we have even a chance in hell of getting anything done in the next, you know, two years. Yeah, that's the more troubling part of this to me is that without one party, either party, Democratic or Republican, controlling everything, it seems like we can get nothing done. And that to me is more harmful. It's more harmful to have a stagnant ineffective government than it is to have one party even if it's the party that i don't like in control of everything you know um because then how do we act internationally how do we respond to crisis like it it just it used to be that crisis used to bring us together you know a crisis moment happened and partisanship was out the window but that doesn't seem to be the case much anymore you know you would think something like covid would bring everybody together but somehow that's a polarizing, you know, masks are polarizing some kind of way. I, I don't know. I don't I don't understand the moment that we're in with this partisanship. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. With, with a, a more divided government, I don't know. I don't know what we do. I don't know how we move forward as a country. Yeah, I mean, you know. I have a couple of thoughts to that. And I guess one of it is, is like, I keep coming back to it. And I can't remember where I heard it, but somebody made the very astute point that where Trump went wrong, I mean, well, except for being just wrong as a human being and a politician, except for that. Um, but where he went wrong strategically was in not like launching a campaign, uh, like a war campaign against COVID. If he had acted like COVID was a war that we had to pull together to fight as a country, he would have won re-election with no problem. And, you know, it would have been, I mean, I hate to say this, like it would have been really sucky to have Trump be so successful as a politician and bringing us together and taking, you know, responding to crisis in a, in, a, in a good way. I would have hated that, but I also would have 
loved that because like fewer people would have died and and you know our our economy wouldn't have been so tanked and and all of that stuff and we would be safer but like you know that was a real missed opportunity because like presidents in wartime almost always win re-election you know and our economy is usually stimulated by war efforts and and all of that you know there's usually a big boom after you know after or during a war so if we had looked at COVID as a war and there had been like all of this campaign messaging to sort of like get Americans to like agree to like lock down for a month and like, you know, grow victory gardens and feed themselves and their neighbors as best as possible and collective action to support each other. But of course that's probably untypical to like who Trump is for him to like try to bring people together. I mean, that's really what it's all about. I mean, he's, He's been, he's become the figurehead of a movement, but like he didn't even build that movement. Like he's not capable of building. He's only capable of fronting, you know, he's a figurehead. So lest we get off into another political <laughs> rant. <laughs> oh, I did have something this. civic, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, we actually have some civics <laughs> that some we talked civics about in the previous 20 minutes, but we lost it. So, <laughs> Well, let's bring it back because like well, Let, something you let's said, do it again. <laughs> I was going to plug into something that you said and bring it back to civics because you said like, I don't know where we go from here and like, a, you know, in a, um, with this partisanship. And I guess like the best way to figure that out is to look at history, right? Um, and so after a conversation that you and I had, you know, you were going to look at like the most recent time that one party controlled, you know, multiple parts of the government, uh, including both houses of the Congress or both parts of the Congress. And I was like, I'll look at the first time, you know, that that happened because our country was built on the lofty goals of separations of, you know, power and checks and balances so i found this amazing and this is what we i'm saying it very awkwardly now but i said it better the first time (laughs) i found this great article on wikipedia by by googling like the first time that both houses of, of congress were controlled by the same party i found this article called the history of the united states congress and the last line of the sort of introduction says one analyst examining congressional history suggested that there are four main eras with considerable overlap and these included the formative era 1780s to 1820s the partisan era 1830s to the 20th century the committee committee era the 1910s to the 1960s and the contemporary era the 1970s to today and the first thing i thought of when i saw this was is the partisan era really like just looking at that almost sounds like now like that could describe now and the very first line of the description about the partisan era was the victory of john quincy adams in 1824 was challenged by andrew jackson who argued a corrupt bargain between clay and adams had cheated jackson jackson led both electoral votes and popular votes but had no majority in the electoral college so like that basically just kind of sounds like what's happening right now um yeah i was i was reading this um time magazine article and it also talks about the times that presidential elections have been challenged uh it's it's entitled not every u.s presidential race has been decided on election day um it also covers uh the elections of 1800 1824 and 1876 and talking about um jackson it says um, 
I lost my part. <laughs> Let's just make okay, sure you're says, recording. <laughs> it says, not coincidentally, in 1828, Jackson won the presidency, thanks in part to his coordination of local party groups, an innovation that helped create the modern system of two stable national parties. So I think that's probably why they call it the partisan era. Um because Jackson, who was, he felt cheated out of the 1824 election in 1828, essentially created the national party system mm. and got himself elected. Yeah, he like built the Whigs, I think. I mean, I'm like, I'm kind of skipping ahead. I need to read this full article. But what's interesting to me about this is that um, through the 35th United States Congress, the Democrats regained control of both houses in Congress. Um, and of course, at the time, the Democrats were really the Republicans since the, the parties kind of switched. So they weren't necessarily like, you know, today's Democrats. Um, this this thanks in part to the division of the Know Nothing Party and the Republican Party during the 1856 U.S. presidential election. The Know Nothing soon collapsed. And in the North and in the North were absorbed by the Republicans who dominated most states and took control of the U.S. House of Representatives in the 1858 elections. As abolition, abolitionists know nothings joined the Republican Party after the controversial Dred Scott ruling occurred in 1857. In 1860, Abraham Lincoln led the Republicans to a victory based entirely in the anti-slavery North and the Republican Party now took full control of Congress. And Congress played a major role in the American Civil War as the Republicans were in control of both chambers. Um, so, I mean, maybe the American Civil War would have been entirely different, like the results of it or the aftermath of it. Um, you know, if if we'd had bipartisanship instead of partisanship at that time. And I think that that might have been a huge turning point And well, it was a huge turning point in American history and American politics, not just the Civil War and what it meant and what, it, what happened because of it, but because of what was happening that, you know, right before the Civil War as well in, in Congress. All right. And what this um, Time article, uh, a line that really stood out to me is that it says, uh, what's clear from the few examples of contested elections in American history is that they occurred against the backdrop of intense partisan politics and at critical junctures in U.S. history. So the the most prominent one was 1876, where Rutherford B. Hayes was elected president, and they call it the Compromise of 1876, where the Democrats decided they would give up the presidency and allow Rutherford B. Hayes to the Republican to, to take office if Rutherford B. Hayes would remove federal troops from the South. Mm, so yeah. so that's what ended Reconstruction and ushered in the era of Jim Crow. So that was definitely a critical junction in U.S. history. And now President Trump and I'm I'm not equating the two. <laughs> Don't, I'm, I'm not Wait, equating. Who are you the not two. equating? Who are you not equating? <laughs> Hayes and Trump? Or let, let me let me say this before my, my statement. I'm not equating the two events, two moments. But currently, President Trump is challenging the election, the electoral college results, along with several congressmen. Um, so, are we in a critical juncture at this point? In, in history. I mean, we might not know for, you know, 30, 50, 100 years, I, I don't know. But um, it's, it's interesting that 
we don't always know when we're at key moments, you know, in, in our in our history. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot. I mean, I've thought about that a lot lately, and I've just sort of thought about that a lot whenever I've studied history. You know, like I thought, you know, in the past, I've I've spent a lot of time sitting there thinking about like in in like history class in school, like what would like a just an average you know, German citizen sort of be thinking like in, in the, the, the lead up to, you know, World War One and World War Two and like, you know, and, and, you know, like how would sort of those events sort of transpire and like what kind of slippery slope would people have been on to sort of like, you know, get there, get to where they got. And, and I've been, I've been last year, well, the last four years, like t- 2016 to 2020, and I guess moving forward forever, have really put in perspective for me sort of like this sort of incremental and also like enormously swift sort of like slippery slope. Like I, I feel like I have a better sense of like how you can both feel that you are in the middle of a pivotal moment and also be kind of like um, uncertain. Like everybody's, everybody's struggling to kind of get back to normal. Everybody's sort of pushing for that. Everybody sort of wants that to some degree or another. And, and there, I have the sense that we will never fully get back to normal because there will be a new normal. It kind of reminds me a little bit. Um, and as we, I sort of said in the last version of this recording that, you know, 9-11, like, um, the post nine, like there's always this, there was 9-11, at least for me personally, I think for a lot of people, people was a schism where it was like before and after, and, you know, we'll never have like pre 9-11 time again like everything is post 9-11 you know and there's a lot that 9-11 and the aftermath sort of influenced um not just in my personal life but in our our life as a country and as citizens collectively um and I feel like that's kind of what's happening now and it's not just COVID but it's COVID it's Trump it's like all of the protests that happened last year you know the defund the police movement the sort of growing awareness that our work culture in America is inherently abusive. Um, I mean, all of that is sort of coming together and it's sort of, it's just this really pivotal moment. And I don't think that there is a normal for us to get back to. I think that we are forever in a post era, a post, I don't know what the, I don't know what we're post though, like post, I don't know. <laughs> like, you yeah, know. The, the, the post aspect of it doesn't, scare me so much i mean because we're always in a post something you know mm-hmm. things always change we're, we're always in a new era you know yeah. that that so much doesn't make me afraid and and what also gives me some some hope i guess is that i feel like at least thus far we have weathered what i think is a test to the um the strength of the pillars of the constitution you know it i think it has been somewhat shaken i think by the last four years but i don't think it has been damaged permanently you know um i think i think our obviously our norms have been damaged in many ways but that's not constitutional yeah you know it's i I said this in the, in the previous, like we should, I should probably stop referring to the previous, you know, iteration of this recording because it's gone and when it's gone, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't exist, move on. But we were, we were sort of talking about this and I was talking about how I joked, I sent like an email to my doctor's office and I said sort of something along the lines of like, well, I'll see you on such and such date as long as, you know, there isn't like a complete lockdown or civil war between now and then. 
and I was joking, but it's like, we kind of don't know what's happening. Right. And I have, I've been like, a, you know, you and I kind of took a step back and a vacation and, and we let Noel sort of like handle the last episode of, of the, of the year last year. And, and I think I, maybe both of us um, really needed that break. And I was sort of reluctant to pay attention to politics for, for a couple weeks there. And I knew it was temporary. I knew I was never going to like completely, you know, bury my head in the sand like I had in the past. But there was a part of me that was just like, I can't get too focused on what's happening right now because nothing is certain and everything is shifting. But these like 100 Congress people that are like, they have a pact to, to like refuse, you know, the election results. Um, you know, like that's, I think that that's something that's probably more serious than, you know, it's, it's, I think it's like right now we can't take it too seriously. We have to see what happens. We have to see if they're just all, all bark and no bite. We have to see if the inauguration happens and all of that, or if they do declare civil war. And I, I kind of feel like not allowing a peaceful transfer of power may be the beginning of another civil war. I mean, it's really hard to know it. What, what do you think the odds are of a civil war? Well, I mean, the thing is, I mean, it, I, I hate to say it, but I mean, it really kind of depends on what happens, you know, with these two, the, these two runoff races in the Senate. It depends on if we have parity in the Senate, then um, they may have to back down or they may they may they may get even more sort of um entrenched in their in their desires to decertify um the transfer of power and 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 the the results the election results because they may see that they're not going to get their way for the next two years so they may have to entrench and potentially i mean there's some people who are saying that these 100 congress people are acting in a treasonous way I mean, you and I briefly touched on this before um, in the last recording, but I mean, that's a lot of Congress people to to then have to try for treason or or to remove from office, and then we would have to have special elections. And I mean, it, it's I don't know. I mean, you're you're asking for a percentage here, and and that's the thing is I I just don't know. I, I, do you have an, a way of I, configuring a percentage? I, I think. I think the likelihood of a civil war is less than half a percent. I think it's so unlikely. It, I I can't imagine that this moment is going to lead us to a civil war. Civil skirmishes, yes. I think we might see small pockets of people armed and, you know, storm such and such building or something like that and then quickly get snuffed out. But I, I can't see this turning into a, a national war, a national conflict. Well, I mean, I mean, we'll think about it. Like until January 20th, until January 20th, Trump is still our commander in chief. He's still the leader of the military. Um, Secret Service, the armed forces still have to legally um, enact his orders. And yeah. So, I mean, so then on, on January 20th, you know, what's going to, if he's saying, if he's the commander in chief and he's saying that the election results aren't valid and he refuses to like step down or, or move out of the White House, I mean, what happens? What happens then? Well, I mean, he would, re it, that would require the military 
the Secret Service, all of those people you, you talked about, to also violate the Constitution and violate their oaths, mm-hmm. which I, I just can't see that happening. I, I can't see the military siding with Trump over the Constitution. I just, I can't see that happening. Well, I think that's the thing, is I think that that's the conversation that needs to be had in the next couple of weeks, that it's not Biden versus Trump. It's Trump versus the Constitution. You know, it's Trump versus the the pillars, as you've called them, of our democracy, you know, um, and and that's really what it comes down to. I mean, you know, we've we've joked about the Democrats and that they they're not really in it. They don't really have, you know, like the, the spirit for a like no holds barred fight. So like it almost, you know, it's like it's like that story of Solomon in the Bible, right, where like, you know his way of determining who the proper mother was of the child was off like suggesting to cut the baby down the middle. Right. And the real mother was the one that couldn't stand to see the baby cut down the middle because that would be, you know, you know what, just side note, I've always found that to be a ridiculous story. What what human being is going to be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Just cut, cut the baby in half and give me half of it. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, a lot of a lot of the biblical stories are like that. Um, you know, like not to get too into the weeds. Right. Um, <laughs> that was just a, an aside, but yeah. No, 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 absolutely. <laughs> and like, and we should have like a um a, a Bible and civics like podcast or something. Except then we wouldn't be meeting either one of our, you know. Um, but yeah, no, I mean that's the thing is I feel like the the Democrats are always that like proper mother where the proper mother is like, well, like I refuse to see my country like cut in half, so I'm just gonna let fine let the 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 wrong mother take the baby and claim the baby or the country because that would be better than for the country to be cut in half, right? And and that's the thing is like it's but what it I think the the hidden message in the in the story of Solomon and and the story of our times is long term versus short term. Right. Because short term, cutting a baby in half is definitely worse for the baby um, than giving, you know, having the baby given to the wrong mother. Um, But like long term, being raised by the wrong parent can be just as devastating as being cut in half or, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know, it can be just as destructive. And so like being being led by the wrong leader could long term be just as destructive, if not more than a short-term, you know, civil war. And not for I think we're incapable of just talking about civics. (laughs) We always always end up back on politics. (laughs) Maybe we should just change the name. (laughs) (laughs) But what is civics anyway? Because, I mean, it just seems like civics is old politics, you know? (laughs) Like, civics is yesterday's politics, right? Um, You know, I don't know. I mean, you're you're probably right. And I'm I'm thinking of our one listener that's, like, written into us so far and how we continually let him down, you know, by by not being more... He was giving us one more chance, too, until this episode. It's like, damn it. (laughs) I know, right? Like, I I actually really want to know what he thought of the Christmas episode and the other episodes that we did last year, um, our live episodes and stuff. So, if you're listening, I can't remember what we agreed to call you to keep you anonymous, but if you're listening... Uh, JT, or I think, yeah, I think you're right about that. If you're listening, JT, if you're still listening, if we still have you as a listener, um, 
write in and let us know what you think. Like, have we touched upon civics enough in this? Um, like, how long have we been recording? Uh, 26-minute uh, episode, which might be, like, more like 23 or something like that after editing. Um, what do you think? And actually, it's not just date JT I want to hear from. I'm glad we're doing this now. Actually, we need to do this more often as a podcast. I want to hear from any of our listeners. We've got listeners outside of America, which I find really interesting. Um, you know, we get numbers in many countries outside of America. We get we get numbers in almost every state um, in the country, too, as well. You know, not huge numbers. Like, we're a baby podcast. We don't have huge numbers yet. <laughs> But I have been really amazed to sort of see where our listeners are, and they're all over the country. They're outside the country, and and I'm intrigued. I mean, I think probably you guys know by now that we have certain personalities and interests and takes on things, but the climate that we're currently in is just way too interesting not to talk about it. <laughs> Emily, how can our listeners get in touch with us and leave a comment? <laughs> Oh, that is a really good point. I'm glad that you asked, actually. So our email, um, it's at, let me look it up just to make sure, um, because it's been a long time since I've had to give it out. Um, Our email is uh, civics.y'all.podcast at gmail.com. So once more, one more time, civics.y'all.podcast at gmail.com. We, um, I'm also... I, I'm, this is my New Year's resolution. I make a resolution that I will formally and finally launch our website. Um, we do have a website. I just haven't launched it yet. And I'll, um, I'll do posts for all of the episodes with show notes, um, you know, so that you don't just have to look at the show notes kind of crammed together in whatever um, platform you listen to podcasts. You can, you can spend a little bit more time with them on our website, and there'll be a contact form on there as well, that kind of thing. We also are on Twitter. So you have a couple of ways of getting in touch with us. So I expect an email from you. Yes, you listening right there. Yeah. <laughs> I expect an email from you. <laughs> All of y'all. <laughs> on the front row, especially. Um <laughs> So, I mean, have we reached a stopping point? Because I think you and I plan on talking again tomorrow and seeing if, uh, do you want to touch base? you want to check the results one more time and see like how we're doing? Yeah. So it looks like David Perdue is pulling away and Lawler. she's not necessarily pulling away, but she's got a pretty healthy lead now with 85% reporting. So David Perdue is at 51.3% and Loeffler is at 50.9%. So this is bad news. Yeah. So um, maybe what we'll look at is, uh, okay, so it's dig deep real quick and, and let me know if off the top of your head before we do any research, let's say we're deadlocked. Let's say we don't win these two Senate seats. Can you think of any routes that the Democrats can take in order to try to, like, get anything done in the coming years? Well, I I think that President Trump laid the blueprint, which is executive orders. If you can't get anything moved through Congress, then you have to go the route of executive order. So I imagine... They can still block executive orders, though, can't they? 
no, they can't block executive orders, but a president, the you know, the next president that comes in can overturn the executive order. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Um, I mean, but a president can't do everything and anything with executive orders. There's only certain things that a president can do with, you know, that's within his power as uh, with executive orders. Um, the good news is, but, is that I think the COVID response is all pretty much within executive order oversight, right? That's a good question. Uh, I would assume so because the CDC and agencies like that are federal agencies. So yeah, I would assume that that would be within the executive branch's power. Um, well, one thing I also wonder is, um, I mean, I know that like there's been a lot of discussion about the safety of the election results and all of that. And we can't ask people to trust the election results and then immediately turn around and cast doubt because we didn't get the result that we wanted. But it has concerned me that we still have, you know, the secretary of state in Georgia, you know, is who he is. <laughs> so in that recording that came out between him and Trump, he stood up to the president, you know, he, and, and it could be because Trump has been bashing him <laughs> so heavily you know, over the last month or so that he's like, man, fuck it. Can <laughs> no, I say that? He's like, F, F this dude. <laughs> He's like, F this dude, I'm, you know, I'm going to throw him under the bus or he's been throwing me under the bus. So, yeah, um, no, but he, it's he like nobody ever told Trump that you get more flies with honey than vinegar. <laughs> um, OK, so do we want to wrap up this session and yeah, all right, let's, let's wrap, wrap it up. up. And, and what we'll do is we're going to probably record again tomorrow once we if we have an, an idea of what the results are tonight. So, yeah, talk to you tomorrow. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.